Welcome to Approaching Infinity, where we focus on the latest in finance, technology, and innovation. We present you with interesting and unique stories, news, and interviews to help you understand your limits and how to exceed them. Now, here's your host, Justin Rutnerine. Welcome back to Approaching Infinity, the show where we focus on all things finance, innovation, and technology. Today, I'd like to introduce Mr. Ari Brish. He is the founder and principal of CXO360, a leadership advisory and business consulting firm that's raised over $100 million for various projects. Mr. Brish is also an integral part of the faculty at St. Edwards University, where he plays an instrumental role shaping the minds of students through courses on innovation, business strategy, and entrepreneurship. Finally, he is a best-selling author with his business book, Lay an Egg and Make Chicken Soup, that focuses on all his compelling work, as well as insights and tools for successfully executing and commercializing innovation. Mr. Brish, welcome to the show. Anything I missed? Good morning, good morning. Thanks for having me. If you missed anything, we'll talk about it during the <laughs> conversation. Not a problem. No, thank you again for joining. Um, originally, I stumbled upon uh, your profile just doing research uh, variously, and I noticed your your role serving on various boards, you know, different CEO managerial and CEO positions, and just your strategy in general. And I was intrigued by your work. Uh, for the listeners, we had a conversation about a week ago. We uh, we mainly focused on the different types of innovation, technology, the separation between the two, what makes it good or bad. Um, but I want to give you a chance first to maybe do your hero's journey, you know, kind of where you uh, started off and how you came to where you were today, and maybe passion what you're passionate about along the way. Okay, okay. Thanks for having me again. I made most of my career in the technology field, but. Uh, what I realized over the years, and it took me several years to realize, to come to that realization, is that the success in innovation is, in most cases, not about the technology and not about the idea. It's more about the execution and the business model. Sometimes there is a technology component to it, but not all, not always. So even when there is a technology component, in many cases, the business model is what made it a successful uh, journey. Uh, you can take several examples from history. For example, IBM PC, that's like 30, 40 years ago, case study. They did not succeed because they had the best technological solution their success initially was on the business model where they open up the architecture for added uh, components to the overall uh, overall system they called it they they coined the term value added reseller before that most companies, when they designed a solution for a particular uh, application, they designed it from A to Z. IBM were the first one to say, okay, we'll do a generic, basic 
platform and you guys come and we'll open it up, you guys come and add your software or your hardware or whatever it was and 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 create a complete solution, whether it's a system for a dentist or a system for an accountant or, or uh, you know, a reservation system for a hairdresser or whatever, each value-added reseller added their uh, application-specific component on top of the generic PC. Well, one other comment about the IBM PC, when the uh, microprocessor uh, suppliers came to apply for playing with the IBM PC, I was at the time working for Motorola Semiconductor. I think Motorola did not did not choose to to apply for this. Intel applied with a, what was at the time the state of the art microprocessor, and IBM told them that's too much. You have to scale it down. So basically, IBM made Intel scale down uh, the uh, microprocessor at the time was 8086. They scale it down to the 8088 because the 8086 was too powerful, too, too expensive, blah, blah, blah. So the IBM PC was not, by design, was not the state of the art of its time. It was like a, a notch below. Was that because the, more the, than the, like the IBM? The lesson learned here is the yeah. success was in, the, in, in, in innovating a business model that was not uh, common at the time. I see. So they mainly, uh, I don't know if you would want to call it like they controlled the market early on because they were, I guess, the early mover. And then mm-hmm. when other players, like you said, Motorola tried to come in with their chip, even though it was better, you know, most of the players were already on that IBM platform. Mm-hmm. And although, like you said, they mentioned, you know, they didn't have the best technology, but they had the users in the platform early on. Mm-hmm. And I think that model has even been, you know, you can even see it today, like you said, many examples. That's that's interesting to think about. And I, on that note, too, it's like not many people, you know, when they think innovation, they think of like, this is the idea. This is what I want to do. You know, it's going to change the world, but they don't really think of the marketing or the business strategy. Yeah. And um, I was hoping maybe you can touch on that a bit. You know? Yes. What... So, yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, the greatest idea in the world and the greatest technology in the world will not succeed if you do not uh, execute uh, properly so the 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 formula for success is good idea and a good idea definitely as we talked before doesn't have to be a, a technology it's in most cases it's a business model uh, so a good idea but excellent execution you're going to fail no matter how good your idea is, if you do not execute properly on the logistics, the marketing, the sales channels, customer relations, public relations, blah, blah, blah. There are so many components that needs to all come together uh, successfully for the idea to be a commercial success. The The... Another example from history, I like historical examples because you can look, uh, you know, 50 years or 100 years back and and see what worked and what did not work. So the classical 
model or the classical icon, I would say even it made okay. it to be an icon, a classical icon for innovation is the light bulb. So mm-hmm. people give the credit to uh, Thomas Edison, but Thomas Edison is not the one that invent- invented the light bulb. Uh, it was like 70 years before Thomas Edison, uh, a UK guy, Sir Humphrey Davis, Mm-hmm. invented the light bulb but he didn't he did not take it to uh, any commercial uh, he did not try to make it a commercial thing he just his motivation was a scientific one he he wanted to show that if you run electricity through a filament the mm-hmm. filament will glow but from that to make it a commercial success Thomas Edison had to make an extensive research on what's the best filament that will last for several months. You don't want it to burn off after a few minutes. What is the best shape for the glass, the the thickness of the glass, the gas inside uh, the light bulb, the screw, how to screw it and unscrew it from a socket, even the switch on and off is one of Thomas Edison's inventions. And last but not least, the the uh, he understood that you must recruit an ecosystem to make it happen. So he started one of the first utility companies to deliver electricity to the uh, homes and offices because without the delivery of electricity, the light bulb is just a useless gadget. Uh, so he invested in creating the Edison Utility Company. There are 300, 300 patents around the light bulb. Mm-hmm. All the components, it's a multi-discipline invention that there is no one person. That's another thing in, in modern innovation. If you take even the computer mouse, there is so many disciplines involved in making it happen. No one person can do it alone. You 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 go to the light bulb. You, you, you need to create the metal for the filament, the glass, the socket, the screw, and, and, and bring the electricity. And above all, also the high-volume manufacturing because you need to make millions of them successfully and reliably to make it a commercial success if you make agreed. you know five or ten that's not good enough so yeah, that, that's that's the um, success of Thomas Edison the other thing he pioneered and that's very important also to the mouse example and, and many others he pioneered the innov- multidiscipline innovation with a team okay before most innovations were like a one-person invention and what have you, but he created the whole lab of teams of people. Each one had uh, their own specialty in a, a different discipline that requires to bring it all together to a successful product. Hmm. That's interesting. So he, I mean, you really went end-to-end there too, where... You know, although the light bulb was invent, the technology was there. Thomas Edison was the one who actually went end to end, you know, 
getting the patents, making the utility companies, right. bringing right. it to scale, producing it for the market, and then bringing yeah. a team on board to just keep the process going for until today. Well, <laughs> more or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. incredible. And I, I think you um also had a uh, a a a quote or slogan from your book, right? The innovation is equal to the idea times the execution. Yeah. I yeah. think that summarizes it. So for all you well. mathematicians, you are a math- mathematician. <laughs> I try to condense it into a simple formula and that's yeah. idea times execution. If, if one of these doesn't work, it's like multiplied by zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, one other thing to note too, focusing on that, business strategy or marketing strategy i guess based on the innovation or idea you have is there a certain type of business strategy one should take is there a one-size-fits-all are there some general principles that someone should take or is everything going to be different the business strategy will be different for every idea or the approach will be different every time yeah another another common thread i think uh, that you see in different successes is what i call um emotional innovation and even when the po- so emotional we we just had a, a, a you know valentine's day yesterday i don't know when you're going to air it but when you buy flowers to a loved one that's a, a pure emotional uh, product so to speak but in many cases the even if the product is a functional product in many cases the motivation to buy is uh, emotional uh, one of my favorite examples is tesla when they first came with a, 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 a initial electrical sports car they had like in 2010 or whatever the buying motivation for the early adapters in many cases was an emotional buying motivation because if you do the math once again we're mathematicians and financial (laughs) people here if you do the math i did the math the return on investment when you buy a, a ev you know, saving on, on gasoline versus a little bit that you pay extra on your electrical bill. Return on investment is close to 100 years. So there, there is no... Well, it depends on the assumption, you know, how much mileage I drive and oil, gasoline prices and what have you, but it's somewhere between 80 to 100 years. So the motivation to buy an electrical vehicle is not financial, non-financial yeah, or non-functional motivations such as I care about the environment even though my one EV is not going to fix you know, global warming <laughs> but that's my small contribution to reduce the global warming so it's, it's emotional emotional motivation or partially emotional when Tesla came with a sports car it was a pretty expensive, so people want to show off that I can afford a $100,000 vehicle or 120 whatever it was cost. It looked cool. It really looked cool. So people buy it because I look cool in this vehicle, right? So 
So all of these things are emotional. I want to show my buddies in the office and my neighbors that I care about the environment, that I can afford a $120,000 vehicle. And I look cool in that vehicle. So all of these are emotional considerations to buy, to be an early adapter of, of the electrical vehicle, right? The, the financial was not there. Uh, by the way, uh, reliability and quality, yeah. if you remember, Tesla at the time yeah. did not have uh, dealerships in the different cities. So if something broke in the car, you had to ship it to California, yeah. <laughs> get it fixed and, and get it back. So you, you lose two or three weeks. Even if it was something small, stupid, normal repair, you lose, you know, two or three weeks on the shipping to California and back. So reliability was not a motivation. There, there was no function, almost no functional motivation at all, except for the emotional thing. Right. That, that's really incredible to think about too, because um, you know, back in those early days, especially with that EV example, you could see you now it was really you know, inconvenient. Of course, mm -hmm. like EVs, yeah. Um, yeah. great innovation, amazing technology. But like you said, the issues were... You know, the reliability once you actually got on the road. I mean, I didn't know that statistic where it was like 80 to 100 years to get your ROI. That's, <laughs> that's something. Um, and then going on that point, you know, I want to talk about a little bit like you mentioned, I think it was in your book or a quote, that most people confuse technology with innovation and also balancing that emotional aspect in there. Can you touch on that point a bit, maybe? Um, how do people confuse it? What are the different types? Yeah, it's all about perception. People think that innovation has to be with a technology, but if you look at many recent successes, even if it's there is a technology component to the success, take Uber, for example. They call themselves Uber technology, but they did not invent any new technology. They did not invent a GPS. They did not invent credit cards. They just took several different technology components together to create a new service. So their innovation was in the new business model to bypass, you know, taxis and, and buses and, and, and get this ride sharing that's example of uber same thing with airbnb they did not create any new technology it's a it's a technology-based service but their innovation was in the business model not in the technology that uh, is creating this business model uh, successful the, te the technologies in both cases in uber and airbnb the technology was there Take uh, Domino's Pizza, okay? Mm -hmm. Domino's Pizza is a perfect example for this conversation. Why? Domino's Pizza went IPO about the same time as Google, mm. within a few weeks apart. If you invested $1,000 in Domino's Pizza IPO and $1,000 in Google IPO back in the days, Domino's Pizza did two times better than Google. Even though, even though Google is considered, you know, the darling of Silicon Valley or one of them, mm -hmm. Domino's Pizza 
yeah, there are technology base. You order your pizza on the internet, or when they started, you order the pizza by telephone. But yeah, they created a new service that they bring the pizza to your house very quickly. At the time, they committed to 30 minutes. Now they are not committing because of some liability issues. Some of their drivers had accidents <laughs> and people sued them and da-da-da. So sense. they are not committing themselves to a certain delivery time. But their delivery time is pretty quick. No, so they did two times better than Google. The moral of the story: it's not about the technology; it's about a good, innovative business model and service. Excellently said. Yeah, even today, <laughs> taking that Domino's example, they were one of the first movers to more or less put out an app where you can order the pizza from the app. Uh, right. Yeah. And that was much like far ahead of their competitors at the time, and now they have yeah. such a large market yeah. share. Yeah. I, yeah, I believe they're number one, but. Yeah, the the only better deal you can make is if you can fax, if you can fax fax a pizza or or send it as an attachment to an uh, email, but that's a little infeasible. Maybe it will be, and then somebody will figure out how to do it. That would be (laughs) something a three D pizza, pizza. uh, you know, email. Um, One other item to note, though, I know. So I'm convinced on the importance of the business strategy, the marketing uh, for their overall uh, innovation success, so to say. But how important would you say is um, the inventor's network? I know you mentioned team before with Edison's example, but how do you build a network that will more or less propel your idea or innovation? Or how important is having a team or network um, for the idea success, so to say? Well, there are two parts to your question one mm-hmm. is the you called it the team so i need to i need to hire the right people and if you're a startup venture you're very sensitive to how much money you spend initially so you want to find the two or three co-founders that can do the job of 10 15 other people in a corporate World. So that's very tricky to find, you know, people that are multi-disciplines or can operate and design the hardware, do the software, da-da-da. So that's the internal side of the network. Know the right people to hire. There is also the outside two components, at least two or three components to the outside network. One is a network with the investment community and network with the customers, potential customers community, okay? So basically, one of the important things in innovation is, in many cases, if it's so new, there is no ecosystem for it. So you need to create the ecosystem, and that requires, you know, network, network with the government, Proper government agencies, right? So, if I if I invent a new medicine, I need to have access to the government agencies that needs to approve it. I need access to the physician doctors community that needs to prescribe the medicine. I need access to the insurance medical insurance companies that will approve my new medicine in the you know insurance 
coding system. I need a network with a pharmacies that are actually going to buy it. So, so the actual transaction of seller-buyer, if I am a pharmaceutical provider with a new medicine, my actual customer that put a purchase order and pay me is the pharmacy. But I have all these other communities in the ecosystem, the governments, the doctors, even the patients. You see on the TV ads, tell your doctor to prescribe this medicine. The doctor should know better than me. Why should I tell the doctor? So <laughs> they, are, they are going to the customer, 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 third level to the patients to tell the doctors to prescribe this new medicine. The doctor is supposed to know about it better than anybody. Oh, that makes sense. The network is a lot bigger. Like you said, the team, you want that Pareto principle, essentially, yeah, you know, yeah. the people who... And even in a pharmaceutical, yeah. you, you, there are several disciplines. There is the chemistry, there is the mm-hmm. medical doctors that do the research, the, the, chemist, the chemists that, you know, mix and know what chemistry, the people that package it, so you need to be a, a packaging... There is, by the way, in, in, in the medical, in the pharmaceutical field, packaging is a big thing to make it. They have all these fancy packages just to impress the clients. So if I see a fancy package, I think this is a fancy medicine, but it's not. The package is designed to be fancy just to impress the the, the patients. Oh, yeah, that's, that's definitely something to think about there. I, I want to pivot for a moment. Um, to talk about your role at St. Edwards and more or less how you structured the courses for, I guess, the dynamic and changing business world to focus, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, how your coursework focuses on innovation, business strategy, and entrepreneurship. How has that changed over the years and how is it preparing like future generations to think about innovation the way you're describing here? Yeah. So everything we talked about this morning is uh, messages I try to deliver to my students. The fact that Innovation doesn't have to be technology. The fact that there is a a strong emotional component. Uh, There is another thing that we didn't talk about is um, second guess what the customer really wants. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the customers don't have the ability to articulate if it's something that totally doesn't exist. Henry Ford, there is a famous quotation. Henry Ford says, if I ask my customer what they need, they would tell me faster horses because they didn't know that automobiles is something they can ask for because it did not exist at the time. So the, the, the same thing with many other innovations. Customers will not tell you what the solution should be. The customers will tell you kind of what the problem Sometimes they don't even realize it's a problem because they are used to a certain thing, right? They say if they are used to get a pizza within less than an hour, Mm -hmm. they don't think to ask you, okay, I want a pizza right now, okay? Because it's kind of business as usual to get a pizza less than one hour. But what if I want a pizza right now? I don't want to wait. <laughs> What's the solution? Oh. So that that's kind of uh, articulating. 
my wife is an architect, for example, so she's doing very well in interviewing her clients because the clients don't have the vision of how to arrange things in their room environment. They just, so she interviews them about their lifestyle. How much you cook? What do you cook? How many people you cook? How many times you entertain in a house for more people? Da, da, da. And when they tell her all this, she puts together a, a solution. Same thing with many, many other applications. People wouldn't know to tell you about no, internet sense, or yeah. artificial intelligence or what can it do for me. It's something you have to understand what the problem is and then come up with a solution that they don't even think is possible right what comes to my head is like i don't know if you've heard the like apple's walled garden so to say how they have make their products the way they envision it or they don't really uh, it's a term like walled garden they basically make their products uh, to work with one another i don't uh, i guess take a lot of user feedback as opposed to like the other providers like uh, android windows and Using mm-hmm. that method, that wall garden approach, they're able to have full control and actually yeah, make products yeah. that maybe the end user doesn't even know what they need. But Apple exactly, like, hey, exactly. You'll use our environment. Exactly. You live in our garden. Exactly. Uh, final thoughts here too. I want to touch uh, more or less if people want to learn more about what we talked about today uh, on your book, lay an egg and make chicken soup. What could they learn about from that book? What are the main concepts? Okay, so the so. the main concept of the book is the importance of execution. So the book is about commercializing innovation, but only one chapter talks about the idea part. All the other chapters, so I have a chapter about marketing, a chapter about finance, a chapter about Mm -hmm. people, management, a chapter about uh, sales channel management. Something, by the way, something I did not intentionally put in the book, one of my reviewers, put it to my attention in every chapter on every topic I talk about the people and I, I it was a subconscious I guess but important to understand what motivates the people in different different disciplines to do and, and support your uh, new product and you need to align all the motivational tools for the different disciplines into the same direction that you want uh, things to happen. And it sounds obvious, but in many, especially in large corporations, one group gets the bonus plan based on, I don't know, efficiency, another group based on market share, another group based on staying on budget, whatever. So there are different bonus systems to different 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 departments and each one mm-hmm. is pulling to a different direction you have to create a, a motivational tool or system that will align the entire organization and the ecosystem and the customers to adapt the new innovation that you're coming up with so that's another that's component yeah. the, the the human side of innovation I spend a lot of time subconsciously my reviewer put it to my attention that subconsciously I, I, I spend a lot of mileage talking about people aspects in different different disciplines. Oh, it's very interesting to think about it. 
Yeah, I'll definitely get it. And I hope our listeners as well. It's surely to be a wealth of knowledge. So the, it touches on each discipline. Yeah. You can, for each chapter in my book, you can write a whole book, right? So it just gives you an idea of what to pay attention to and, and kind of how to put this entire puzzle together. Excellent. On that note, too, if people wanted to reach out to you or any additional questions or mm-hmm. uh, where should they go, what should they do, and where could they also purchase um, the book if they want to? Well, the book is on Amazon, so yeah. it, because of its strange name, sometimes it's come, come up under a cookbook or whatever. <laughs> the, the reason for the name is kind of the metaphor of chicken and an egg. Sometimes you have that uh, uh, dilemma when you innovate new products. So the book is standard on Amazon. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so you can find me out and send me emails through the LinkedIn. That's the best way. And there is a website, by the way. The website is cxo360.net. So no.com, .net, cxo360.net. Make sure that CXO, the letter O, 360 is a number zero. Many people mix them up. Excellent. Well, Mr. Brish, thank you again for joining us on the show. Thanks for having Uh, me. It was a pleasure talking to you. And then to our listeners, thank you again for joining us on another episode of Approaching Infinity. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of Approaching Infinity. Make sure to follow us to be notified of new episodes and feel free to reach out directly on LinkedIn at Justin Rupnarine, on Instagram at JRLive7 or Twitter at Justin underscore 777 underscore.